Watt yet. Nick Hales is a very good partner, and Joshua Johnson. If you're making you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins. Nick, what's up in Hawaii today, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Doing great. And I just wanted to spell a rumor real quick. Uh, I just want to let everybody know that, no, Johnny Manziel and I are not roommates. Although I do have to say, uh, you know, I've never been a big fan of him as an NFL quarterback, but I bet he would be a pretty fun roommate, don't you think? I uh, would not be boring. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> um... um yeah, uh, he'd probably love to party in Hawaii. I mean, who, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, for some reason, when I, if you don't know, me and Nick have been podcasting together for, I think over two years now. I don't know, been a while. And for some reason, early on, I always used to when we do the intro, I always used to forget to say my name. And I thought about that when I said my name today. I'm just like, oh man, I'm so good. I'm so well trained. I can say my own name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's the little things in life. You you know, you people know. You people know who I am, but I hope. Anyway, today is also the start of the NHL playoffs. Um, if you don't know me, I absolutely love college and NFL football as well as high school football. But uh, NHL playoffs is some of my favorite times of the year, otherwise known as Josh doesn't sit down time at my house. So, yeah. Good, good stuff. And uh, my Red Wings are back in the playoffs for year 25 in a row. So that's pretty darn awesome. Didn't, didn't look like it was going to happen there those last couple of weeks. But uh, let's get to the football, Nick. We have a great show for you planned today. Uh, as we discussed the AFC East, um, our old buddy uh, Luis Torado Jr. from Jets Press is going to be stopping by. I think last time we talked to Luis, he was he was also writing for the Giants. We talked to him about the Giants last year, but the Jets are his true love. He is gangrene to the heart. So hoping hoping we'll have him on in about a half an hour, and that should be fun because he's a great guy, very knowledgeable, and uh, he's a metalhead too. So uh, we <laughs> can't go wrong there bringing Luis back. And every time I say his name, Nick, I maybe maybe I should have made him intro, but I feel like I'm saying a, a Michael Buffer and I'm feeling the same name of a boxer, Luis Toronto Jr. See, I'm not, that's why I'm not a boxing announcer. Uh, but, uh, yeah, great great name and a great dude nonetheless. Um, I thought I had an idea to talk about something at the top of the show, but let's just, I guess let's get into the New England Patriots since we're talking about the AFC East, Nick. Do we have any insight, which was further clouded yesterday by the refunding of LeGarrette Blunt, about who is going to be the lead RB in 2016? So Blunt is there. They also signed Donald Brown. I think they still have that kid from Stanford that killed his knee that hasn't played for a couple of years. Um, James White, Brandon Bolden, Deion Lewis. Uh, 
Well, who's gonna? <laughs> what would he got? Can you make? Can you make sense of that murky pool? Well, also in the mix, I think are uh, Joey Iosefa and James Devlin. But uh, no, I, if I had to guess, I would say Garrett Blunt probably more often than not is going to be the lead back. But it's going to change week to week, and uh, you know, I don't think anybody really has any insight as far as the week to week usage of these guys. Uh, none of these names really stand out other than Garrett Blunt. Uh, you know, I just don't ever trust New England running backs. Period. Yeah, that's probably the best thing to come out of this situation. Is the best advice we could give you is don't uh, put a lot of stock in them. Deion Lewis looked really, really good last year at times, but uh, we'll we'll see how he comes back and recovers. Um, you know, again, I said it a few weeks ago, kind of jokingly, but Donald Brown's kind of a wild card to me. The guy's kind of been dinged up the last couple of years, but and maybe it's just one of those things where. I and I said it before in this podcast, but I was so convinced that he was going to be a star in the NFL. And uh, hey, you know, maybe maybe with that uh, spread out New England offense, maybe he can maybe he could do something. Uh, James White, I think, grew up a little bit last year as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't uh, yeah don't don't get Jonas graded by these guys. That's for sure. So. Stick away. Although um, I, will, I will say in a, in best ball formats, these guys are worth a late flyer because, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about them putting up a, a goose egg as a starter in a best ball format. And that's where I have Dion Lewis. So hopefully that'll hopefully that'll work out for me there. Um, what about uh, between Gronk? I guess beyond Gronk and Edelman, Nick, is, is there a wide receiver on this current roster that could emerge? We talked about the Nate Washington signing a few weeks ago. I, I think he could have a decent year for them. Um, I know you agreed with me there. Is, is there anybody else? I mean, they've kind of really bombed drafting wide receivers this year, so I, I would imagine they'll probably try to gra- grab at least one more in this year's draft, too. But what do you think? Well, like you said, I think the safest bet, especially in the short term, is going to be the veteran Nate Washington. He's had over 600 yards each of the last six seasons, and that was with quarterbacks not named Tom Brady. Uh, you know, a more long-term guy that I might take a look at is someone we've previously discussed when he was with Buffalo, and that's Chris Hogan, six foot one, two hundred twenty. Uh, he had a career high of four hundred fifty yards last season. Played in all sixteen games, but he only had four starts. So, if given an opportunity, he could uh, his numbers could be in for a pretty good bump. How could I forget about the pride of Monmouth College, uh, Chris Hogan, or is it Monmouth University? Sorry, our buddy Jeff loaded to be yelling at me because I don't know that, but. Uh... Yeah, I like Hogan a lot too. He just he just gets in there and gets the job done. Um, geez, if he establishes some kind of connection with uh, with Brady, that 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 could be very good. He's you know he's not a he's not one of those guys that's a plus at anything, but he's probably a, a, a B plus all all the way around and just like I said, just gets the job done. Um, you know, Martellus Bennett also also in in the fold now too. So there's there's going to be room for those receivers to to move. Um, it's interesting that the, they're such a powerful, real NFL team, but it's kind of hard to get a beat on really anybody but Gronk and their their quarterback. I mean, Edelman obviously has his moments, but you got to be worried about the concussions there too. So, what about the defensive side of the ball, Nick? Is, is there an IDP impact player on the rise? Well, I believe that Jabal Sheard is going to be replacing Chandler Jones, who was very productive from that defensive end spot in this scheme. Uh, Sheard has five or more sacks in four of the last five seasons, including eight sacks and 37 tackles in his first season with the Patriots last year. And I kind of wonder if his play might have been part of the reason they felt okay with trading Chandler Jones away. Yeah, last year was his first year there. Um, 
that's, that's kind of the guy that I wrote down too. I, I like him, I, but let's you know be honest. He is not necessarily Chandler Jones. I mean, he might you know I I, I see some produ- obviously I see maybe a little increase in production, but I don't think he's going to jump jump into that uh, that Chandler Jones. Um, uh, you know, echelon of, of eliteness, if you will. They do have uh, Trey Flowers on the roster as uh, our IDP uh, captain here. Bill reminds me, um, and they also have Jamie Collins, who, you know, will, will probably also play a bigger role. He's, you know, he's a guy that's certainly well established. IDP years know his name, um, and hopefully, he can take that next step uh, this year without Chandler Jones, much like. Uh, Ziggy Anza did without uh, Nick Damakatsu. Uh, I think a lot of people would talk about. Uh, we're going to. Oh, I'm going to talk about Anza this week in the question and answer on Saturday. So make sure you make sure you read that on Saturday. But uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought Anza wasn't necessarily going to. I think they saw an increased role, but I don't know if a lot of people saw any, a lot more production out of him without Sue in the lineup because obviously more pressure on him, even though they're playing different positions. But uh, I think the same could be said for, uh, for Jamie Collins. I'm not saying he's going to come out and get 15 sacks, but you know, Hey, if he, if he gets uh, a dozen, uh, you know, or 13, you know, and I think that'll be just fine. And I think he's certainly a player that you want his, uh, his, uh, Stock is on the rise as he certainly looks to be an LB, LB1 uh, this year. Um, Bill, Bill, yeah, Bill also wanted to remind us about Trey Flowers, who tested off the charts over at the at the combine. Now, he was a, he was a rookie last year, so didn't see a lot of a lot of playing time. Um, you know, another interesting thing as I was kind of looking at the defense and their statistics, Nick, with his team is the fact that uh, they are such a good team and. But a lot of the a lot of the guys towards the top of the tackles from last year are all secondary guys, which I guess I guess is you know uh, comes comes a little bit with the territory of being good and having leads and having teams throw against you. But I just I thought I didn't necessarily think that would would be the case, and I don't think it's it's always as easy as that to uh, to predict. It doesn't seem like it's that that easy. But anyway. I'm done blabbing on about that. Uh, what about draft needs? Now this is kind of another, another tough one. Obviously, they need a they need a right tackle as as Von Miller, and we keep reminding everybody exposed in the playoffs. But what what do you, what do you think, Nick? Is what do, what do they need? Well, Von Miller exposed everybody in the playoffs. But uh, you know, other than tight end and probably quarterback, I don't think there's one positional group you look at and say New England's totally stacked. There's no way they're going to draft that. So I think they're going to go with the best player available. Billichick really wouldn't have it any other way. You know, heck, who knows? Maybe they trade up, draft Derrick Henry, and then ignore him for a couple seasons, like what happened to Mark Ingram in New Orleans. That would be the ultimate uh, Billichick message to fantasy guys, right? Oh yeah, that's just what they need. Another run, <laughs> running back to that. Next. <laughs> um, they have the they don't have the first rounder. That was obviously the air was taken out of that one for them. But um, they have two picks back to back thanks to the Chandler Jones trade. So we'll see. You know, maybe they do. You know, the best player. You know, the the player that Belichick's got the biggest. Uh, uh, yeah, it's got the biggest love on. I guess you would say. Um, uh, and then the, then they'll probably would address a need. Receiver would be interesting, you know. With the Hogan, like I said, Hogan not necessarily your prototypical big guy, but he's probably the tallest receiver on this team. With with Edelman and Amendola being, you know, 
the mighty mites that they are. They obviously got the big six seven target and and uh, Martellus Bennett too. But I would like to see this big receiver. I know a lot of New England fans are pretty high on Sterling Shepard, but of course he's just five ten above ninety five. So obviously he could work in that system, but that's not necessarily would be a an immediate impact for uh, for us fantasy players. Um, the guy that we had our profile come out today, written by Chris Spooner. Uh, Chris has just been doing a couple things here and there for us with the profiles and doing doing a hell of a job. But he wrote about Kiaris Garrett, the uh, Tulsa Golden Hurricane wide receiver, and uh, he he's good. He's six three, two twenty, very quick. You know, four five speed. Um, you've seen him. You see him turn around William Jackson, who everybody's calling, you know, potentially a top 20 corner in this draft. I mean, Garrett makes him look silly here and there in a a couple of games. Uh, Fifth-year senior, so a little bit of height and age, which might hurt his draft stock because he had a medical redshirt one year. But uh, uh, a a great player a lot of people are excited about. And I I purposely don't talk about him too often because I don't want to plant too many seeds because certainly a guy that I want – when you're, you know, projecting for the future, I think I think he's a guy that could be very, very good going down, going down the line. Um, further on, you, you know, New England will will try something weird where they, you know, they draft a guy and then change his position. There and and they they hit and miss on that sometimes. You know, I think it'd be interesting to see them take a guy like Braxton Miller, who I, I'm a little bit down on, thanks to. Uh, Thanks to the perception reception czar Matt Harmon, he doesn't his you know he's just a little bit raw, but I think uh, New England could maybe certainly help him with that uh, transition. And who knows, maybe they you know maybe there's a a quarterback package for him. But uh, he's an interesting prospect and another big wide receiver. Uh, didn't uh, didn't fly at the combine like a lot of people thought he would speed wise, but um, I could see New England doing some creative things with him. Um, any, any any other draft thoughts there for New England, Nick? Um, just that I would expect them to be pretty active as far as trading, either up or down. It seems like every year New England's in, involved in, in uh, multiple trades during the draft. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, good point. Um, Cleveland always seems to be too. Um, I had, had the pleasure to listen to uh, Warren Sharp the other day he was on uh, Ross Tucker's fantasy feast podcast. Um, and he's just a, he's just a football analytics guy was, a, was an engineer. And he talked about he, how when an NFL team trades up or down in a draft, especially when they trade a, you know, you know, a lot of draft capital, like, you know, three picks to move up to the, to the top 10, how far that sets teams back, and it's something I never really thought about. I mean, you kind of think about it, but you could, but if you you know you look at the teams that have done this in the past and how far it sets them back, you know, think about the example he brought was was Cleveland trading up to get Justin Gilbert, and obviously Cleveland wasn't in a good spot to begin with, but look how far back they <laughs> fallen after that, and yeah, just just an interesting thought by him, and I wanted to give him credit for that. It was Ross. On the Ross Tucker Fantasy Feast podcast with Ross and Evan Silva, and that's Warren Sharp. You can find him at Sharp Football on Twitter. Uh, great, amazing stuff. And I, I, the first time I had heard of him listening to that podcast, I, I need to go back there and check that out. Check out his website and really, really see what he's all about because that was fascinating stuff for him. Um, and it, 
certainly hasn't happened to England. Happened to New England, so they they obviously know what they're doing uh, on in that aspect there. But uh, it is time for Dynasty trade analysis, and I need to let the clip do the talking. Time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Okay, Nick, first trade up up on the dock here. Oops. Rand- ah, I just closed my page. Randall Cobb, do you have it in front of you there, Nick? <laughs> I do. I believe it's uh, Randall Cobb oh, in a 2017 cool. first or uh, pick 1.13, 1.17, and two 2017 firsts. Is that uh, the same that you have? Yes, yes. I'm sorry. The second I said that, I clicked the wrong thing, and it's, I lost it. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, basically, uh, you know, trading away the first with Randall Cobb makes it basically Randall Cobb for three first-round picks. And we saw last year with Randall Cobb that when asked to be the man, he struggled. He had under 1,000 yards. Um, he, he's a great complimentary guy, but he's not a guy that can do it all by himself. So taking up three first-round picks for a guy that, like I said, can't do it by himself, I think I would definitely trade away Randall Cobb for that for that package. Yeah, um, uh, Jay Jay Myers, the uh, the head over here, t- uh, tweeted out uh, a great uh, poll the other day as it was a um, excuse me Cobb versus Kevin White and. I'm, and, you know, I wanted to vote right away, and then the more and more I thought about it, that's just really an interesting one because we Cobb is still very young, and he he could still do some really good things, but, you know, we expected a little bit more out of him last year. Expected him to explode a little bit more with uh, with Jordy out of the lineup, and that certainly was not the case there. Um, so, but, yeah, it's, that seems like a lot to give up for Randall Cobb. I, I, I certainly agree with you there. Nick, but if you know if you if you need a player like that for a run and you don't want those don't want to deal with those rookies, I, I guess I could not disagree with it. And you are getting that that early 2017 or potentially an early 2017 pick. I would say if somebody's trying to grab early picks from you, that 2017 you're getting back um, is going to potentially be a very high pick because they're probably in rebuilding mode and that's that's why they want to do that. So I uh, like I said not 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 necessarily something I would do, but I can't maybe just totally disagree with it. Uh this next one was totally intriguing to me. Um and I I I wish I had this kind of these kind of players to make this move, but I don't. Uh Nelson Aguilar and Dante Moncrief no, excuse me, Nelson Aguilar, Dante Moncrief, and pick 1.07 for DeAndre Hopkins. What do you think, Nick? I think I would absolutely trade away all those guys to get DeAndre Hopkins. You know, I said Randall Cobb can't do it by himself. DeAndre Hopkins can. He is truly an elite young receiver. And, you know, trading away three flyers for a guy who's already proven but still young like DeAndre Hopkins, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I agree, too. I mean, as somebody who's, tried multiple times to trade for him. That's that's 
you know, if you, if you think that's a lot, you should you should try to trade for him and see what some owners ask for or you ask for him back. Because, I mean, I I offered three firsts for him when one day got turned down, um, and two of those were this year. One of them pretty damn early. We're talking, you know, potentially Josh Docks and Corey Coleman early. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I, you know, I feel like I shouldn't even talk about DeAndre Hopkins trades because, unless of course I actually pull off one for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just like Nick said. I mean, he does it by himself. He's done it no matter who's that quarterback. You know, whether it's Brian Hoyer, Brandon Wheaton, T.J. Yates. I mean, geez, vomit in your socks. That's terrible, but he gets it done. <laughs> My, you know, Moncrief I think has a pretty good feature. He's not the he's not the small scat wide receiver, but he certainly projects to be a, a good receiver I think in the future. Aguilar we don't know, and Philly's bringing in all kinds of wide receivers to look at. So uh, uh, all kinds of wide receiver prospects to look at. So we're gonna, I think we're going to see some big changes go through that team in the last couple of years. You know, as if Chip Kelly didn't flip that roster enough. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them even even move even move one of their receivers. You know, if somebody if they think they can get something for like even like a Jordan Matthews, I'm not saying they will, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if they move Matthews or Aguilar to to move up in a in a round or something like that. If, if they can get what they want, you know, they want they want speed out of their wide receivers, and and Matthews is not a slow wide receiver by any means. Aguilar is pretty darn good too, but they want they really want some burners there, so. Uh, the, yeah, I'm not sold on Aguilar. I I wouldn't mind you know trying to get a, try to trade like a second or third round pick for him if if somebody would do that. But uh, not sold on his future at least in Philly. Um, interesting one here, Nick. Todd Gurley, 2017 fourth for Kirk Cousins, Carlos Williams. Uh, the pick, the first overall pick this year, so. Ezekiel Elliott and a 2017 first. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think this is the closest of the three trades we've done. I think personally, I would uh, be okay with getting rid of Gurley if I was getting Ezekiel Elliott and all those other pieces back in return. Uh, I know Elliott, you know, he's a rookie. He hasn't proven himself in the NFL the way Todd Gurley has, but he also doesn't come with the injury uh, history that really comes with to my knowledge um, and you know Carlos Williams is a guy I'm pretty high on Kirk Cousins as a skin fan I really hope he is the future there plus you're getting an additional 2017 first round pick so I think that's enough for me to part, part ways with Todd Gurley well you know one thing I just I just noticed in this trade is the player I guess the player that's trading away Todd Gurley is getting the first overall pick so you know they it's you know, obviously trades happen. Lots of trades happen in dynasty leagues, but I just don't get getting that first overall pick, trading Todd Gurley, and then just trading, you know, drafting the the first running back again next year. I just don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily get that. Obviously, this this has uh, changed quite. This trade has changed a little bit with the thoughts that McCoy's will not will not get suspended now since there's going to be no charges brought against him. I still think there might be some kind of disciplinary action from the NFL because he was obviously there and involved in something. Um, but it's, you know, it's not going to be like the eight gamer that was eight to 10 game thing that a lot of people were thinking about. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two. Um, so, I mean, you're, Carlos Williams is still, still a nice feature piece. And I know, I know Nick is an owner of him and, and hoping for the best there, but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you could potentially be getting Ezekiel Elliott, and if that 2017 first is high, is high enough, maybe you're getting, and this is, I think this is DFW 36, so you could potentially get like the third copy of Leonard Fournette. So you have two, two of the best young running backs. I mean, obviously you had Todd Gurley, so you're probably not going <laughs> to hold on to him if that's the case. But uh, Yeah. I, I agree. It's, I think it's a, a pretty fair move. I just I don't I don't understand trading Gurley at this point. When I think you know we we've yet to see the the total best of him. But if you're you know nervous about something, and he is really the only weapon in that offense right now too. So um, each and every week, I give my co-host Nick the floor to kind of uh, rant about something that's bothering him, and he told me what this is about today, and via text, and and I read it. I did, but. Um, I, I, I guess I don't know the actual story behind it, so I'm, I'm gonna learn along with you, from uh, from Nick about uh, what apparently what Sean Payton said, unofficially. I think maybe what what do you got for us? Well, we live in a very PC society, and in some aspects, that's good. I, you know, I'm glad the N-word and gay slurs aren't as commonplace as they were 50 years ago. But the downside is that some people, in this instance, football head coaches, uh, they don't ever want to rock the boat. And all their interviews, except maybe some post-game press conferences when the emotions are still high. Other than that, most coaches' quotes are more vanilla than a Heath Schuler audible. That's why I love Saints head coach Sean Payton and Stanford's head coaches David Schaub, to a lesser extent. Uh, they're possibly un- unpopular comments lately. And not that I agree with either, but, you know, agree or disagree. The fact that they had the guts to go against the grain, that's great. And in case you missed, Sean Payton said that the city of New Orleans is broken. It's like the Wild West and that he dislikes guns. Now, in a red state, I'm sure the Saints owner got calls from the mayor and probably the governor and, you know, as a prominent football coach, is almost a pseudo-ambassador for his city. But he had the courage to speak his mind. So agree or disagree with his opinion. And, you know, as Americans who have free speech, we should applaud his guts in saying something unpopular as well as respect the opinion of those who will uh, undoubtedly ridicule him. Now, Stanford's head coach, throwing a jab at his rivals, that basically, why would we hold the recently outlawed satellite camps in SEC territory where only one person in the state would qualify to get into Stanford? You know, as a sports fan, how can you dislike that kind of trash <laughs> talk? You know, I, I really hope that David Shaw at Stanford can be the new generation Steve Spurrier as far as head coach trash talk goes. Uh, Don't you think, Josh? Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um. Yeah, like I said, I wasn't quite sure what, what you meant by that statement earlier, but I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go for it. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. I love love the David Shaw comment. What was the Sean Payton one exactly? Um, he basically was, you know, after the the recent uh, Will Smith murder, said that uh, New Orleans is a broken city and there's a lot of violence and it's like the Wild West out there. And he came out as being very anti anti gun type of type of comments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, too, and I want to get way too off of the subject here, but considering that this city went un- underwent the horrific event of Hurricane Katrina, that how they, you know, and I know they were known for not necessarily good, a, a bad, they're known to be a bad crime city before that, but how do you morph back into that when you have such a, a progression of getting things together and getting people together? But anyway... I'll stop talking. I'm just going to get in trouble if I keep blabbing on something I don't know about. So, um, yeah, good good stuff there. Uh, love love the David Shaw one. That was that was great. Um, <laughs> we will be joined just a few minutes by 
Luis Torado Jr. Um, I'll try not to say it. I feel like I need one of my patented echoey intros of me saying that where I can enhance my voice a little bit with some reverb or whatnot. But uh, any uh, any thoughts, any 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 mock draft thoughts, anything going, going on, Nick, that uh, surprised you in the mock draft world? Um, well, we recently uh, we're doing a uh, 32 team uh, uh, mock NFL draft, and I uh, took Corey Coleman for the Redskins. I thought that was a, a good move, seeing as there were no trades allowed in this draft. The Redskins, in real life, obviously have said they want to trade down. Um, so I think drafting a receiver in round one would allow them to. Uh, possibly unload the contracts of either Pierre Garcon or Deshaun Jackson, both of whom are going to make over $9 million this year. I think that would be a, a good way for them to pick up some additional draft picks later in the draft by trading one of those guys away. Uh, and look at, look at Nick with the big segue here. That was awesome because we actually – the article about that uh, on round one just came out right before the podcast started here at uh, noon central time. So you can read everybody's uh, everybody's picks and uh, why they picked. I, we, me, me and Nick both repped our teams. I went to one play, I went with my Raiders, obviously, and I took uh, took Jalen Smith. I know the, the medical that's coming here in the next couple of days is obviously going to be huge, but uh, I go on to talk about how the fact that I, I love Oakland's offseason moves, but I'm still not going to be surprised if they don't make the playoffs this year, so why not have a player who I, I believe is probably, you know, could easily be the best player in this draft if he was fully healthy. And you're going to get him at 14 and have let him, you know, going to send him out, out to stub one year from now, make sure that he's fully healthy if that's the case. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm totally confident doing that, even if he doesn't play a snap this year. I just didn't like uh, – I think, too, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, if the Raiders trade down. Um, I think there's they could – gain a pick or two if they did that and Reddy's been pretty smart because you know like uh, like my guys at the Black Hole Banter podcast were talking about the other day the Raiders podcast you know it's a it's a weird position 14 because you're certainly you're not in that in that blue chip range of the t- of the top 10 uh, but uh, you know and, and any of the guys that you take that are going to go from potentially you know 14 to mid round second you, you don't you don't know it depends on where people uh uh, ranked them whatnot. So uh, I thought it was really interesting that Dan went with a cornerback, Eli Apple. I feel, I feel like that there, there's a lot of corners on that on that Minnesota team already, and young corners. So, uh, but uh, I think Dan knows what he wants. Maybe he really wanted Corey Coleman. I know he likes his smaller wide receivers. Maybe a, maybe a stolen from him there, Nick. But uh, uh, Josh Jackson went 20 to the Jets. I thought that would be a an interesting fantasy move because it's, you know, you certainly would, would restrain him for at least the next year or two. What do you think about Ezekiel Elliott to the bears? Not a, not a move. A lot of Jeremy Lakeford owners would want to see, right? Yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, personally, I'm not very high on Jeremy Langford. I think the Bears should try to upgrade at that position. Uh, whether they will or not, that remains to be seen, of course. But, yeah, I, I would I would really like that pick if I were a Bears fan. But Kadeem Carey, people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, John Fox is also known for not playing rookies at all. So 
I think he would, uh, if he'd have to bite his tongue on that one if they took Ezekiel Elliott. But that's, uh, again, this is all just speculative. We just got together with the DFW community and did that. Uh, we started round two last night, so look forward to the rest of the rest of that draft. I don't think we're doing all seven rounds, but look forward to more of that. Uh, but we have Luis on the phone, and I don't have his music ready. I'm sorry. there at the end. I'm pretty sure that's King. I don't know. Luis, are you there, buddy? What's up? Doing good. How about you guys? Thank you for the intro. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, no problem. No problem. Gotta gotta play the metal when Luis is on. Cause he's, not <laughs> only is he, is he our brother in NFL, but he's our brother in metal too. So. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we're doing good. Last year, like we said, we had you came on and talked about Giants. But we we really know where your heart lies, and we know your heart is just getting green. So we got you this, this year to talk about uh, your New York Jets. So uh, why don't you tell people what Jet Press is all about and what you guys got going on over there right now? Thank you. Well, I'm the editor of the JetPress.com. Uh, we got a staff of about 23 writers strong. We cover everything from New York Jets, fantasy football, NFL draft, anything you could think of for analysis and editorials. Um, we crank them out. Pretty much uh, right now, as you guys know, it's all about the whole quarterback situation, what they're going to do in the draft. It's a whole lot of stuff going on. <laughs> you, you're stealing my segue into the first question there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, well, let's just get right into it since you went there. What, what's going on, Jeff's quarterback situation? I, 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 don't, I don't even know how to introduce this. And are, are it, people forgetting that Geno Smith is still on your roster? I mean, yeah, that's Bryce well, I think Petty he, or nobody. What, what, come on, what's up? He's been forgotten for a couple of years now, Mr. Juno Smith. But <laughs> um, people, they, they. I, I would hope that if he was the option, that some people might be optimistic that maybe a year away from the whole starting spotlight might have made him better. I don't think so. But I, I'm always very hopeful and think that maybe if by some reason he has to start, that he will be at least somewhat better than what we've seen. But, uh, yeah, the, the whole quarterback thing, it's, it's very, very weird. A lot of people thought that this was going to be really simple going into the offseason. Everybody for sure thought that Fitzpatrick would not even question signing a contract to come back after the year that he did. Only problem is it's unfortunately one of the evils in the world comes down to money. So he's going through his final few years of playing in the NFL. Like I would think he has maybe like two, maybe three years left in him. So he knows this is his last big contract. He's coming off his greatest year of his career. So figure the Jets gave him an offer that was reasonable considering his age, injury history, and the fact that he's never had back-to-back consecutive great seasons. So he felt lowballed. So him and the agents, everybody's going back and forth. And as of right now, nothing, nothing has come to fruition. I heard that they did give him a little more money because of the whole Ferguson retirement. But again, they're still very far apart from the last thing that I, I was told. Yeah, and I think I heard on the radio this morning or maybe it was on a, one of the many podcasts I listened to. This is 
that was his first winning season ever as a starting quarterback, too, maybe? Yeah, it was his first yeah. winning season, and it was the most touchdowns ever at 31. And um, I, I think a lot of what was lost in there, too, is I know a lot of people talked about, and, and maybe maybe you know the exact number, too, but I don't think, like, a Jets quarterback had thrown, like, over 20 touchdown passes in a season for, like, five or six years or maybe even longer than that. And he threw yeah. 31. But, but he certainly also has, you know, had some great weapons there and um, in Marshall and uh, Decker, you know, and he's a guy that's really never caught on. He's, he's always been kind of the uh, the stopgap option for a lot of people. And, you know, just to, just to break it down in terms of what, what he had, I mean, the top four receivers that he's thrown touchdown passes to in his career. Steve Johnson's number one. Obviously, they spent a handful of years together in Buffalo, but Brandon Marshall is number two, and Eric Decker is number four. So, I mean, <laughs> and he's only played one year with those with those guys. So, obviously, he had the the best talent pool around him that he did. So, exactly. he certainly helped him out there. The height and age there. Uh, Nick, any questions there for Luis? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, the retirement of DeBrickshaw Ferguson. How concerned are you about the left tackle situation? I know they made a trade with Denver. Do you think they've uh, done enough to address that? No. I, I mean, a lot of people think that just because they got Ryan Clady that it's going to fix everything. The only thing is, like, he's coming off an ACL injury. He has another history of, of being injured. I still think it doesn't change everybody's draft boards where the Jets, they, they need to go offensive lineman in the first round because he's one hit away, and that's the blind side of any quarterback. Whoever, if it's Geno, if it's Ryan, Mike Glennon, whoever I heard, Jared Goff, if they trade up, wherever it's going to be, that's like the most important spot on that offensive line. So I, I'm not comfortable. I'd rather them obviously have Clady and then draft another offensive lineman so they can have some depth there and just hope that he can stay healthy for the most part next season. Sorry, as you were talking there, I just noticed that Fitzpatrick spent two years in Cincinnati. I do not even remember that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a um, moving forward, uh, what about uh, Bilal Paolo? Obviously, he was an important piece to this offense, but what what is he going to be this year now with, with Matt Forte and all of his versatility in the fold? I think he's still going to be using a situational role because figure Matt Forte is going to get probably like 80% of all the snaps. I, I'm excited for him. I think he's actually an upgrade over Chris Ivory. Then they picked up Kyrie Robinson, and he's another similar running back. The only thing is I think he's going to be more using like a relief role for Forte and he can also handle like a bulk of snaps. And I think for Powell, he's probably going to be one of those hybrid kind of players that he's probably going to be used mostly to line up as a receiving option. And again, if he gets hot like he did last year, he was phenomenal last year. Like the only reason the Jets even got to that scenario where they were just one game away from going to the playoffs was pretty much because of Powell. And if you notice when he got hurt in the last game, he it, it that dimension that he brought was gone, and I really think if he was playing, he they probably would have won that game. So hopefully, um, they'll use him in that role again, and he can be uh, another like X factor. So I think he can be really good in that kind of a role. I don't think he's starting quality, but I do think he has a lot to the offense. Yeah, yeah, just kind of that nice nice factor back, kind of a a Darren Sproles, obviously not the same small smallness there, but. Uh, uh, what what's up with Devin Smith, uh, wide receiver? I think a lot of people were excited about last year. Had had a really bad injury. How, how's he coming along? Is he looking to find find a role this year? 
Yeah, I think um, if you look at everything he's been doing, I think that he could be a candidate for like the like a nice comeback year. I look at um, the fact that like Pryor had um, you know a bit of a fallout when he first got to NFL. If you guys remember, he was terrible. I I was excited when he came to NFL. I was thinking that he was going to be like this hard hitting safety and he was going to like break people's teeth and stuff like that. And he didn't live up to that. So then when I saw what he did last year, I don't know if you guys noticed, like he looked a lot more mature. Like he was more of like leading the pack. He was hitting better. He was playing smarter and he put up like his best season so far. And I always had a rule. I think you guys remember when I said it last year about the giants, when any uh, rookie, it's usually a third year that you can tell if they're meant or they're not meant to be in the NFL. And I think if Pryor can capitalize on last year, I, I really think he could be really, really good this year. Uh, Nick, any questions there for Luis? Um, do you have any feelings on whether or not Jason Morrow is ever going to be a fantasy-relevant tight end? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Like, I, I've i seen enough of him to know that he – everybody's all – I think what it is, people are just so hopeful that he can turn into, like, this amazing Mike Pitta kind of a guy and – you know, like, it's one of those things, like, I, I'm i not perfect. I usually can study players, and I can say, hey, this guy's going to be good. Give him time. But he just looks so confused on the football field. He dropped, I mean, passes that, like, anybody in high school can catch that. And he dropped them easily. And he just had a really hard time grasping the offense. Now, I understand because, you know, when he first got to NFL, it's a different offensive playbook. He got another offensive playbook the year after. But Chang Gailey breaks down his playbook so easily that if you still can't grab it, that that's on you. And he got hurt, and there's no guarantees going to come back next season and even do anything. Like, I, if, it, if I was the GM on the Jets, I would definitely try to get another tight end in the draft because I do like um, – they call him Mini Gronk. Um, I forgot his name. Oh, Sudfield. And I, I think he will probably have a better shot at doing something more than tomorrow. I'm one of those people that just – I don't see it in him, to be honest. How about you guys? Oh, you're breaking my heart. I, I, I love Amaro, <laughs> but I agree. I agree. I expected more out of him, especially coming from such a, a pass-happy scheme like Texas Tech. You think he would have an understanding of, you know, at least route concepts and, and what he's doing because, I mean, he caught a thousand passes in college. I mean, yeah. I just I, – I, what? how do you go from that to that? And just obviously – obviously it's something major there was lost in translation. And I'm not yeah. saying that's the best – the best scheme to come out of a college and translate, but uh, you know, and it took Crabtree a while too. But obviously, that's a different position. Yeah. But uh, and plus, ask you, ask you guys this: he couldn't even beat Jeff Cumberland as a starter. Let that marinate. <laughs> Let it marinate. And I think Cumberland is very similar to Geno Smith. Probably one of the worst I've seen at the position in years. I get it that Gailey likes to use them to block and, you know, all that stuff. But you can't, you can't tell me that if he had a really good receiving option at tight end, he wouldn't use them in that role. I just think he saw that the whole positional group is, is bad, and he just said, you know what, you guys are going to block. That's it. That's my theory. Sure. One, I think last year going in, too, I was really excited to see Amaro with, with Marshall and Decker, and obviously that's, you know, He's not a guy that's going to demand, well, really any coverage, but <laughs> certainly not double <laughs> coverage. Um, so we'll see. We'll, well, I'm still, I'm still holding out a shred of hope there. Not, not much, but I, I do own him in multiple dynasties, so I'm still, still holding yeah. out a, a little bit. He of He might. Don't get me wrong. If he had a breakout, yeah, that'd be phenomenal. I just, I mean, considering the whole, he doesn't understand the playbook. He he runs wrong routes, and he got hurt. He missed all of last year, which I think would have 
benefited him to actually have seen what it would have been like in motion because maybe, maybe he could have done something to where he could have got some more plays designed for him. But I don't know. I think this is a year that he's probably going to fade out again in training camp, and he just might just be like that one third-string option or practice squad or something. I, I hope to be wrong. I hope to be wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing what being tight end uh, starved on your fantasy team will, will make make you cling on to. But uh, Nick, any other thoughts there? Um, I did notice that uh, Dree Archer is listed on your guys' roster. Do you think he's a guy that could actually make the final roster? Uh, that's tough. I think they the Jets, like all all the other teams, they they pick guys like him that has potential, but mostly use as training camp filler to see if they could find like that hidden gem. I hope so. I think he can be all right, but I, I don't see him lasting past uh, maybe like uh, preseason week three, depending on how he, he translates. I think he'll be okay, but I don't know. A lot of times they, they pick players like this just to see if they can put him on the practice squad or just for death, really. Yeah, and he might be, uh, you know, somebody brought in as a as a return option in case you have some rookie in there fumbling punts or something like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, I do like the cutting. Jeremy Ross signing though. I thought that was smart. The guy from the Raiders, I like him a lot. Yeah. I think he'll probably he'll probably be the one that can hopefully. I mean, special teams was just, it was just really bad last year, <laughs> so I hope he can he can do something. And Pittsburgh cut Archer like after they lost LeGarrett Blunt to New England or after they cut – I mean, so they they obviously had no no use for him, even considering what happened after Le'Veon Bell got hurt last year and they, they went really deep into the running back pool. So that, I think that said a lot about uh, what Archer can do at the next level. Oh, yeah. Um, I know you're you're chomping at the bit to get to this one, Nick, uh, Luis, but what do you think? Big, biggest draft needs. Obviously, we've discussed a few positions here and there, but what do you, what do you want? And I know you're pretty passionate about the draft. You've been cranking out some profiles yourself. So, what do you got for us? Thank you. Um, it's I, I still stick to the draft board. I, I still think you got to look at it from um, a smarter point of view, from the way that I've seen general manager Mike McCagan do it, where you got to draft the best possible player for an immediate need. And the whole Ferguson retirement literally just came out of nowhere. So I know a lot of people don't like drafting offensive linemen in the first round, but look at what the Dallas Cowboys have done. It's a boring mm-hmm. pick. But when you yeah. get really great linemen, that you win football games. That's just the, the truth of the matter. Like when you look at um, how to win football games, it's the battle of the trenches. So I, I personally think the Jets should just draft the best available tackle, whether it's Taylor Decker, Jack Conklin. Um, I, I like one of those two guys, and I, I've done like so many mock drafts that I, I really believe they'll fall to number 20 when the Jets are on the clock. And then you just pick that. They can get a great pass rusher in the second and third round. This year's draft is so great with pass rushers and defensive ends and linebackers. It, it's crazy. So I, I think they should just get best available offensive linemen at tackle and use second and third rounds for pass rushing linebackers, defensive ends, and then grab a couple. I would do another receiving option because, again, Decker, I love Decker and Marshall, but you can't have it all be those two guys because, trust me, that schedule next year is going to be a lot different than what we saw last uh, last year. It's going to be very, very tough. So that's just me. How about you guys? What do you guys think? First uh, major need they got to get on the clock. No. Well, you didn't mention the quarterback in there. Is there, is there a oh, – I'll tell you what I think might happen. Um, the whole Muhammad Wilkerson thing, I honestly believe if Fitzpatrick doesn't sign, I, I would like to believe that there has to be some deadline. There has to be – the Jets had to have told him, you have until this date to say yes or no because his decision changes the entire draft of the Jets. 
easily. Mm-hmm. I don't see them trading up. Everybody has these crazy ideas that they're going to do this and get the number one pick from the Titans. That, that's all fantasy, so that's not going to happen. I honestly believe they're going to trade Wilkerson for either a Mike Glennon or they're going to use him as a piece to move up a little bit, but not all the way to number one to grab maybe like a, a Connor Cook or – I don't see them. I don't see them getting Wentz or, or Goff, but like one of the top five. As much as Jets Nation might not like this, get ready for Geno Smith as starting quarterback next year, and hopefully, see what happens. That's why uh, I think. Yeah, happen. yeah. Well, you know, it uh, it worked for Denver having the worst quarterback in the league last year. So uh, <laughs> you know, he, and, people always say it's the strength for the team. Like if you look at it, I think people don't understand that at quarterback with the Jets, it's not as crazy a priority because if you think about it, they spend millions of dollars at running back. They're going to have a great defense. So if you look at everything around them, the offense will be fine. You just need someone that has good time management and that actually can throw short little passes, let the receivers do all the work. They can get a Mike Glennon. They can trade Wilkerson, free up salary cap, get Glennon and another draft pick, and they'll be fine. Or even Geno Smith. If they have to know, I mean, he is going to his last year. You don't got to break the bank for him. You can rock with him, draft like Connor Cook, Christian Hackenberg, somebody that they can just develop in addition to Petty, and rock with that. They'll be fine. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you, I, there's obviously some some needs there, and it, it'd be interesting to see, I mean, if you address the need by trading a, a Mo Wilkerson, then you open up another hole on your defense. So that, yeah. that'll, that'll, I mean, and hopefully if you get another pick back in return, you can use that on one of those, one of those defensive ends. You got, you got Leonard Williams in there. So, I mean, and he's a guy that can, you know, be, be played, you know, both interior and, and on the end position. So that, that's certainly nice to have that versatility and you can, you can kind oh, of yeah. play that best, best available there. But, uh, so that'll be interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of D tackles. There's there's quality defensive tackles you can get in this in this draft. I think in rounds like three and probably even four. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, I still think so, they yeah. they'll be okay. I still think with the way I mean, you got Sheldon Richardson. You have uh, they're gonna have a better pass rushing linebacker course. That's gonna help with that. And again, we're probably gonna have a top ten defensive secondary. We're going to be fine. I just think that a lot of times uh, – because we'll, here's the thing. I know a lot of people hate when you have to trade, like, one of your best defensive players, but they give it like this. They don't trade him now. We will get nothing come next season, absolutely nothing. He will guarantee play his franchise tag year, and he'll be gone next offseason. And then we'll look like fools. When I'm pretty sure there's some teams that would love to grab Wilkerson, they'll give them a quarterback that they need. obviously need if Fitzpatrick decides not to come back. Or they'll just give him draft picks. He's worthy of at least a, a first-round draft pick, maybe even like a receiver or quarterback, some kind of a package. Because, again, he's going to be playing some incredible football in the next three to four years, and teams need that. So I think he, he's good as gone, unfortunately. I hate to say because I love Wilkerson, but you got to look at it from the whole football point of view and the whole, the whole money situation, which is, again, the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's what makes the world go around and what makes these teams successful is deciding what to do to better their team without putting so much into one guy. That's why I'm happy they didn't break the banker Fitzpatrick because I'm telling you, if they gave him so much money and he doesn't even do what he did last season, can you imagine the uproar in Jets Ration? <laughs> It'd be crazy. <laughs> they will go uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, we know those Jets fans can be a little vocal at times. Um, oh, yes. What What if, you know, there's a lot of uh, defensive line talent linked to my Oakland Raiders there at pick 14? Would you would you take pick fourteen from Muhammad Wilkerson? Have two first round picks? 
Absolutely. I'll do that in a heartbeat. Because I, and by the way, I love the Raiders. They're, they're one of my favorite. I would say like one of my top five teams. That team's going to be very up and coming. And I, I think they would be very, that would be a great fit for him. They got the cap room. They got a great up and coming team. Because I can imagine Wilkinson's going to want to go to a team that's going to be competitive. And the, the Jets are two first round draft picks. be phenomenal. They can get a quarterback. They can get an offensive lineman. And they'll be set. Because again, I, I yeah. hate to say it, but I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that Geno Smith can be okay next season. Not great. I don't think he'll be terrible like he was in the past. But I think if they limit him and put him in a position to succeed, run the football, have a great defense, give him simple, short passing plays that I'm pretty sure he can do, they'll be fine at quarterback. And that's assuming Fitzpatrick doesn't want to come back, which if he doesn't want to come back, that to me is the dumbest thing he could do because, again, how other way did you want to end your career than on a team that literally is so close making the, the NFL playoffs? They were one game away last year. The strength of the schedule is harder this year. He gives them the best position to win football games. But if he wants to be ignorant and stubborn because he wants like $15 million a year, which I would absolutely not pay for, that's on him. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, hey, Mac on one side, Wilkerson on the other. I'll take that. Um, yeah. Nick, any other questions <laughs> there for Luis? Well, last year in the draft, uh, you went with uh, Leonard Williams because he was the best player available, even though defensive line was already a position of strength. Uh, do you foresee them possibly uh, ignoring the quarterback and offensive line in the first round and, again, just taking the best player available regardless of position? They might if they move Wilkerson. I think that uh, it's one of two scenarios going to happen. Either they go in to trade him before the draft or they might just trade him on draft day because teams get desperate. Teams, they, they look at draft boards, all the rumors come out, and you never know what can happen. I mean, for all we know, like a team out of nowhere can just bump up a couple spots and that just changes the whole dynamic of the draft. I can see that happening. If, let's say, um, they trade Wilkerson, the answer draft pick, I would see them doing offensive linemen, maybe defensive linemen as well. So that way they can address those. And you, can, you need depth regardless. The Jets defense is depth front seven. That, that's their strength. So I can see them doing that for sure if Wilkerson is, is gone. If they don't move him and they hope they can get a contract by July 15th, then I, I can see them just sticking to offensive linemen and, uh, again, quarterback. Okay. Well, one more fun question before we let you go, <laughs> Luis. What, uh, of all the teams in this division, and this is obviously a, a division where teams – are very passionate. Player, their fan bases are very passionate about their teams. Um, and if you have, imagine if anybody out there's ever been to a home game in any one of these cities, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, of all the t- uh, teams in this division, who who has the most annoying fans? Oh, New England, hands down. <laughs> hands down. I've been to I've been uh, I've been to every stadium in the AFC East. I was at Gillette Stadium when it first grand opened, and the worst. Absolutely the worst. It's not even to the point where they don't even know that not every Jets fan is terrible because there are a lot of Jets fans that also are always obnoxious. It happens to every single <laughs> fan base. But New England takes it like you can't even go there wearing a Yankees cap or oh, a Jets yeah. cap. Even, and don't even think about wearing a Giants cap. Because they'll, they, and it's bad because they'll do stupid things like they'll spit on you, they'll throw beer at you, they'll curse at you. And my, my rule is if you're going to any kind of sporting events, you shouldn't really curse because, you know, they're kids there. Little ones, they, they yeah. look up to the Bradys and, you know, all these other things. And I get that. But sometimes uh, they take it to a whole different level where you don't even say a word. Nothing. They just look at you, oh, you're wearing a Fitzpatrick jersey, oh, you're wearing a Brandon Marshall jersey, oh, the Jets suck, blah, blah, blah. It's, but they take it to a whole different extreme. Dolphin fans aren't that bad. Then uh, Buffalo fans, they don't even care. They just 
they just enjoy having a great time and drinking because technically <laughs> uh, we're all New York. They're they're right up there, so it's not much not much anger there, but definitely hundred thousand percent New England. Hands down. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think he's sure. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Luis. It's, it's always great and. And I gotta ask, I'll say this before you came on. Every time I feel your name, I feel like, and I'm not gonna do the voice, but I feel like I'm Michael Buffer introducing a boxer. Did your parents <laughs> think you were gonna be a boxer when when they named you? I mean, you have such a great such a great name that rolls off the tongue. And I know Thank it's you. Luis Torado Jr., right? So that you I, got I, it. I, Perfect. I just want to uh-huh. scream it every time you come on because it's such a great name. <laughs> Thank but anyway, you. Awesome. Well, we we appreciate you, bud, and we'll know you. We'll know you know we will call you back when we need you. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure to put out the phenomenal job on your podcast. Cool. Thank you, bud, and have a great day. You too, guys. Take care. Bye. Okay. Well, I, I've been waiting for this ever since I found my angle, but we're, we're, we got a dynasty dilemma for you today. And I, I want to give uh, Dan Hines kind of the credit for, for uh, giving, giving me the, the, the courage or at least the, the general idea to do – Dynasty dilemmas uh, with two players on the same team. I, I I just always I don't know I just never thought it would be a good idea. But man, I think it is so fun when we have the opportunity to pit two players against each other. I think we did Demarius Thomas versus Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I know last summer me and Dan did Tevin Coleman versus Devonte Freeman, and we did jo- uh, Jordan Matthews versus Nelson Aguilar. Uh, but today we're doing the the two big Miami receivers in Devontae Parker and Jarvis Landry. Obviously, Parker wasn't fully healthy last year. Now they have a new offensive coordinator, so that could change some things up. But, man, did I find an angle. But it is Nick's turn to go first because he got to choose first. And Nick, of course, chose Jarvis Landry. So let's, uh, let's, just get, let's give him the short clip here, Nick, and then we'll talk. <laughs> Well, this argument is all about proven production over potential. Uh, Yes, we may see Devontae Parker develop into a top-flight wide receiver, or we may not. He's certainly not there now, judging by last year's stats. He couldn't top Rashard Matthews, who never topped 500 yards in his previous three seasons, uh, and he only beat uh, Kenny Stills out by about 50 yards, and Stills was considered a huge bust by fantasy standards. Uh, We warn people about not overvaluing rookie potential over safer veteran options, and I believe the same strategy applies here. Now, Jarvis Landry is known as a slot receiver, but unlike your stereotypical 5'9", 175-pound slot receiver, uh, Landry is a solid 6'205 pounds. And he has proven it on the field. As a rookie, Parker only had 26 catches in 15 games, while Landry opened his career with 84 catches, 750 yards, and five scores, followed up by a Pro Bowl sophomore campaign where he had 166 targets, 110 catches, and 1,150 yards. And he's only a couple months older than Devontae Parker, so there's no real age gap there. That you got two 23-year-olds, one guy's a pro bowler, the other one is a huge maybe. Uh, you know, fun fact, if you drafted Devontae Parker and Jamison Crowder last year, Crowder was your better play. And considering Parker is, I think, seven inches taller than Crowder, that should not happen. You know, of course, Parker could develop, but, you know, uh, I, I just to prefer him over Jarvis Landry, who's a proven commodity. That's just crazy to me. Josh? Great, uh, great point. Um, still laughing about the seven inches comment. Um, so <laughs> Nick, 
usually concedes and uh, gives me the player that he knows I love. Now, I understand he feels that I loved Parker as a prospect, but I would be just as happy to be in Nick's shoes today proving that the, that the consistent Landry is a better play than Parker. Um, and it's always fun to play both sides of the coin, so I always, I always take a look and, and love the, uh, the challenge. Um, Parker is, is, of course, still, uh, still brother smooth, and, and I like him very, very much. And uh, those of you who are enamored with Josh Doxson as a prospect right now probably loved Parker in the same light last year. I think that's a great comp, both of those two guys. Uh, so like most dilemmas, I put this to a vote on the Twitter sphere. Um, and Parker won by 20%. Now, as I see it, and this is where it's going to get really fun here, people. Now, as I see it, this is what is wrong with the dynasty. We simply put up too much stock in potential. That's right. I'm flipping the switch here, and I'm breaking all the rules just this one time because – I, you know, I get the fact that we all want to find those stallions, but the truth is this hardly ever happens. As much as me and Nick believe in our big blood-pumping hearts that Justin Hardy and Nelson Aguilar are someday going to be Antonio Brown clones, we know there's like a 90% chance that that's not going to be the case. There's a reason every rookie draft has a big four at the top. Typically, those four players – are the overwhelming have the overwhelming consensus of evaluators on their side. The rest have flaws that fuel fires, Twitter blockages, friendship trials, and side bets for ages. In case you haven't figured out by now, I am taking a stand here and also defending Jar- Jarvis Juice Landry. A Miami fan told me once his nickname is Juice, so I, I always throw that in there. It's that time of year. We all have wa- we all have not watched a real football game. Since the Super Bowl, we have rookie fever, which spawns nostalgia of 12 months before and reminds us of of those guys that we loved who underachieved last year. Yet our blind conviction still sauced the pan. Parker, 26 receptions, 494 yards, and three touchdowns last year. You know who had quite similar numbers to that as a rookie and who I think was probably in the exact same position Last year, with all this potential and everybody loved and people were trading mad things for, Devontae Parker, excuse me, Devontae Adams, the other Devontae, 38 receptions, 446 yards, and three touchdowns for the Green Bay Packers. Then, of course, Jordy Nelson got hurt, and the world went crazy. I mean, Twitter blew up. Devontae Adams was, of course, the next Jez Bryant. People were trading all kinds of things for him. So, yes, I am. Like I said, I broke the rules, and I'm taking Landry's side here, too. As much as I love Parker, I really do love Parker, and I think he's going to be great, I just I got I to gotta take a stand here, Nick. Landry, 194 receptions and 1,900 yards in just his first 32 NFL games. 194 receptions. Uh, this, is the PPR, this is a PPR world, and Landry is obviously the smart play. I still love Parker. And I wish him the best, but there's so many people that love him so much more that would trade so much for him that I just just don't understand it. I know um, uh, I sent this question out to a couple people within our community here. You know, people send they've turned down a couple first for him. Um, uh, 
I know Bill Latin said he wouldn't take three first for him. I mean, obviously there, there's a lot of stock and potential, but I think we just generally as a whole, and that's the point I want to make here, just put too much stock in that. People don't win dynasty championships with a bunch of first and second year players. They they win championships with guys that are over 25, over 26 years old who are in their primes. And I know everybody thinks that they're building their team if you're not on the top. Everybody thinks that you're building your team, you're loading your young roster, and they're all just going to flourish at the same time. I have teams exactly like that. But just the fact of the matter is you got to be more savvy than just draft the players that you like. You got to be you got to be more active than that. You have to you have to you're not going to find 10 of these guys and and have them all on one team. So anyway, <laughs> that was our 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 really weird off the wall dynasty bylaw. Mostly, I guess mostly my fault. And if you would have chosen Parker, I guess who knows what I would have done, Nick, but uh I got to take a stand. What do you think? Thoughts? Rebuttal? Yeah, I guess um, you get a chance to rebut that. <laughs> I guess there's no uh, rebuttal necessary since you agreed with me, but I will uh, just add that you, you mentioned that most drafts have a top four as far as rookie drafts are concerned, but you look at last year's top four, and two of those guys were busts, uh, Melvin Gordon and Kevin White. They're, uh, people who drafted those two in the top four did not really get any return uh, from that. So, like you said, potential is always very risky. And those guys' careers certainly aren't over by any means. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say it one more time, and then I'll never say it again. Melvin Gordon didn't score a touchdown last year. I mean, I know Kevin White didn't either, but he didn't play. Melvin Gordon didn't score a touchdown last year. A touchdown? Not even one. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the Buffalo Bills. Nick, uh, Tyra Taylor wants be fine. Buffalo doesn't want to. What do you think? Can he be counted on as a fantasy starter for the majority of this upcoming season? Well, I think depending on your other options, yes. I think I would feel somewhat comfortable with him as a weekly starter. Uh, he had at least one touchdown in 12 of 14 games last year, uh, nine games with 40 or more rushing yards, and four games with uh, three scores, two games with four touchdowns. Uh, overall, he completed 63.7% of his passes, had 3,000 yards and 24 total touchdowns, so only six interceptions, and uh, added another 568 rushing yards. Uh, that's not bad for a first-year uh for his first season as a starter. So I would feel pretty comfortable with Tyrod Taylor as being a uh, a high-floor type of uh, fantasy starter. Yeah, and, you know, he's an every-week guy, and I'm not saying he's going to be a top-five guy. And obviously their careers have taken – their careers have have two very separate paths. But if you look at his numbers compared to Russell Wilson's rookie numbers, they are not that different. And – He's also really never been on an NFL field until last year. So, he, you know, I still think he has some growing to do. There's room for improvement. Obviously, there's room for improvement with everybody, but I think he realizes that. And if, if they're going to make him come out and prove to his contract, I, I think I have good confidence in keeping him on on my dynasty teams and seeing, seeing what he could do. I mean, last year, I, one of my dynasty teams, I had, my quarterbacks are Andrew Luck, Andy Dalton, and I picked up Tyrod Taylor just because, you know, he was named the starter and he was available. I said, oh, maybe, just in case, you know. Week one, Buffalo beats New England, and guess who had guess who had the most fantasy points out of those quarterbacks? Uh, obviously, it was Tyrod <laughs> Taylor. So, I mean, if you have him in a best ball format, maybe that's the best 
uh, best way to play with him. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm ex- excited about what he could bring, and we're going to talk about one of his receivers here in a few minutes. Uh, but he also has Sammy Watkins, who is, you know, you know, he's not a top five wide receiver yet, but he, I think a lot of people really believe in what he can become. And he was, you know, in that top four of most rookie drafts. So don't, uh, don't discount him either. But uh, let's look at the running backs here next. Shady, man, I'm still, I'm still roared up. I need to get more fired up <laughs> uh, more often. <laughs> Louise. And then I got to, then I got to yell at the entire dynasty community. That was awesome. Um, Shady, seemingly, Shady McCoy, seemingly, Avoided a huge suspension, Nick. Well, what does this mean for uh, guys like you that own Carlos Williams? Well, first off, I'm a little bit surprised that even without the charges that he avoided the suspension. seems like the NFL tends to require less evidence than uh, district attorneys do to pursue charges. But anyway, with no suspension, it still is going to be McCoy's eighth season, and his numbers have declined each of the last two seasons. Uh, he was under 900 yards in 12 games last year. Uh, he did still average 4.4 yards per carry. But I think Carlos Williams might actually be the better fit for this offense. He actually had over 5.5 yards per carry, uh, over 500 yards and nine total touchdowns in 11 games. I absolutely love Carlos Williams' as potential. Uh, yeah, and as good as Shady has been between the tackles throughout his career, he's he's not going to get any better. We certainly, I think a lot of people didn't expect to see what we saw a lot of Carlos Williams last year. I think he certainly proved uh, proved a lot, and I proved that he could be a, a number one running back on dynasty teams and on and on uh, a real NFL team. So uh, I think Shady's got a got a short lease there, and he needs to keep doing doing good things. Otherwise, he's going to going to find himself in trouble there. Right? And they, and they both can catch too, so that doesn't lim- that doesn't limit them either one of them to to a third, a third down roll and. I, I honestly feel like we'll see Carlos Williams on the goal line too. Even no matter how effective Shady is, I think Carlos is going to get those uh, get those short yarded touches there. So um, I love it when they spell Carlos with a K. But anyway, let's talk about Robert Woods. Why is he the Roger? Why has he got such a Rodney Dangerfield persona, Nick? Is that is that warranted? I mean, the guy gets gets no respect, right? He does, but I think it's kind of the situation that he's in. I mean, he's a guy I kind of I like, but, you know, even though he's only 24 years old, he's got three straight years with 550 to 700 yards, three to five touchdowns every year. I think as long as he's in Buffalo, his ceiling is going to be pretty limited. Uh, he only had one 100-yard game last year. Uh, he is a good player, but I think he's one of those guys that's just a better uh, real-life actual football player than he is a fantasy he's played. Yeah, Opposite Sammy Watkins, uh, you know, it seems like it doesn't seem like every USC wide receiver is six foot, two hundred pounds. He's he's right he's right there too. <laughs> doesn't seem like they're they're never too tall, but they're not they're not short enough. You know, he's he's a track star too. Um, uh, so he's got you know he got some. He only ran the he only ran a five four five at the at the combine, but uh, uh, ooh. Kind of a bad three cone too with a seven point one five, but uh, I, just a player that I really like too. And he, you know, he, he one could argue he's been the most successful USC running back over the last couple of years. Or excuse me, wide receiver. And obviously, that's not uh, 
uh, not saying much, but he is opposite Sammy Watkins, and I think if we see some more maturity out of him, I think Robert was still a still a decent play. You know, he's whether he's your wide receiver four or five in your team, you know, that's that certainly could be. A, I don't think it's the worst situation to be in. I wouldn't want to own him and Sammy Watkins on the same team, but I think uh, I think if he's he's available or somebody that you can get on the cheap, he is certainly a. Uh, Certainly not a bad a bad player to take under consideration because he he's he went through some transitional things and you know, a lot of people hate those USC wide receivers but I think he can I think he deserves some respect not not that he's awesome but I think he certainly deserves some respect. Um, does a healthy Stefan Gilmore mean Robert? Excuse me, mean Ronald Darby is still a solid IDP player, Nick? What do you think? Corners typically aren't, but uh, we saw a lot out of Darby last year. What do you think? Well, especially in cornerback-required leagues, I think Darby is still a, a solid IDP guy. You know, he was a second-round pick out of Florida State last year, and since Leotis McKelvin's gone, I think Darby is in line to start. So, yes, especially since Stephon Gilmore is probably the better player right now, that would mean Darby is the cornerback number two on the team. I, I think he should uh, Darby should be able to build on his rookie numbers where he had 68 tackles and two interceptions. Uh, you know, as a general rule, you prefer to have a team's number two corner to their number one corner in, dynasty, in uh, IDP formats just because the the second guy gets picked on a little bit more than the elite corner usually. Yeah, and I think I don't know it's just I think uh Gilmore is is elite, but he's certainly yeah, very Yeah, very I, I, good. I, didn't, I I sorry, I I misspoke there. Yeah. Gilmore's not elite, yeah. but he is the better of the two right now. Yeah, I no, I but I I just want to say he's certainly a very good player too. But and I, and I and that's certainly going to help. Um, Darby, 23 pants, passes defense, according to our buddy Bill Atten. That's that's pretty phenomenal. That, But it also kind of inflates his IDP numbers. Um, I think, uh, you know, his uh, he's certainly, and Bill Bright brings us to the point that he's certainly an IDP sell. If, if somebody wants to trade for a cornerback, I would never recommend doing that, but if you can <laughs> You can talk somebody into trading for a cornerback. Uh, I'd see uh, I see a, a decent return if you can get a, a younger safety or like a linebacker that you know if somebody wants to give you like a Preston Smith out of Washington or something like that. I, I wouldn't uh, would not uh, be uh, displeased with that at all. That's a, that's a good point there, about Bill. Um, what do you think about biggest draft needs? Uh, they need they need an outside linebacker for sure. Sure, um, and and some defensive lineup. What do you think there, Nick? Well, yeah, uh, the the switch from the four three to a three four defense last year was uh, let's just say clumsy at times. Uh, guys like Mario Williams playing out of their natural position. So I definitely think the front seven is what they're probably going to address. Most likely a pass rusher on the outside. Uh, you know, right now our lads has a uh, Tony Stewart, a sixth round pick last year with two tackles on the season projected to start on the weak side linebacker. You got to figure they'd like to add some competition there, right? Yeah, they also got uh they also have Zach Brown, the the uh free agent ad from Tennessee, but he's kind of a natural inside guy, so I I think he's maybe on their depth chart right now just as a as a utility linebacker who can fill in. Uh, but uh yeah, they got to they got to address that situation. Um might I 
might I throw out the name Suva Cravens? I just uh, <laughs> addressed the situations as I finished my profile for him yesterday. That's coming up probably the uh, next week sometime as we continue to crank out the the rookie profiles. But uh, a little bit more uh, in-depth on the IDP side, as we're not doing many players, so we chose to uh, make those a little longer in case you missed uh, Sean Kirby's uh, Duran Lee right up uh, Monday. Phenomenal stuff from Mr. Kirby, as always. Dr. Kirby, I should say. Uh, but I think Sua Cravens could fit in that defense really nicely, and I think uh, I, I don't know if they pull the trigger on him first round. I think a lot of it's going to depend on how how many safeties go in the first round. I think there's a ni- nice depth at safety, so that could actually hurt the number of the safeties that go early. And, but obviously, if you need one, that'll 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 make you pull the trigger a little bit earlier uh, than normal. But I, I think. You know, Cravens could also play safety there for for Buffalo, um, as as they need. Corey Graham's awesome, but he is he he is on the on the older side, so they need a, an eventual replacement. So I like a player like that that could you know maybe get his nose dirty there for a couple of years and then maybe develop into a starter there, or maybe maybe even earlier that in Buffalo. Um, I know Robert Nkandiche has been linked to them in several of the mocks that I've seen. I think that would be a, an, an interesting move there. They really going back to the four three though. They really need some guys that work in that scheme and that and that could do things uh, that, that that's going to make them successful. And I think I think you could see some pretty heavy heavy on the defensive side for the first couple rounds there, as they seem to have a lot of their a lot of their offense uh, wrapped up there. Not a lot of need on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, unless they, they – they have been looking at quarterbacks, too. So, obviously, we know they're not sold on Tyrod Taylor. But uh, that might be the wild card in there in the first round to take a, take a quarterback. But uh, we'll see we'll see how that situation develops. But, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, those are the two big – the big needs for Buffalo there is uh, some, some, something along the D-line, some pass rusher help, and certainly the weak side. Weak side linebacker position, and I love those hybrid guys like Cravens, who I mentioned earlier, and uh, uh, Deion Jones is another guy who I think they could probably get in like uh, get in like the third round, and if they if they want, you know, they feel comfortable with a guy like Jeremy Cash playing that weak side role, who could maybe also you know spell both safeties. That would be a, a decent add to. I, I like them to add one of those type of uh, hybrid players, and I think I only mentioned the word hybrid three times in the Sue Cravens right up. I think I maybe, maybe snuck it in one more time at the end there. I had to feel some stuff at the end, but uh, yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo is kind of one of those teams that I'm really excited to see what they do in the draft because I know they have specific holes, especially obviously along that defense. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of value they can get because this defense is so heavy, top heavy, um, this draft is so top-heavy on the defensive side of the ball. I think they could potentially get two two really good playmakers, game-changers in that uh, first couple rounds there. Uh, just one prospect profile today. Um, I want to talk about um, excuse me, K.J. Dillon, uh, the other safety in West Virginia. Uh, we talked about um, Carl Joseph a few weeks ago. Uh, they got another DB prospect, cornerback Dura Worley, who's you know all all these guys potentially you know top five round picks. But uh, right now, Dylan is uh, 
considered 5'11", 6 foot. Uh, there's some discrepancies there, depending on what site you go to, 210 pounds. Um, uh, our buddy Bill's not necessarily sold on him. He does not – I mean, he looks – he does not look like he's 210 pounds, so he's going to have some he's going to have some issues taking down bigger bigger players, you know, bigger, stronger NFL running backs, and I think taller wide receivers and stuff. But uh, um, watched quite a bit of film on him yesterday, and pretty fun player to watch. So uh, I think he uh, he looks ultra thin, but he does he does stop certain ball players in their tracks. Um, fire emotional player in a good way. Uh, great speed with a nice understanding of pursuit angles. I think he can play both safety positions. And if you're confused when you're looking at uh, like prospect rankings and why West Virginia could have two strong safeties listed uh, as, as, as top prospects, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll explain. You'll figure that out here kind of as I go on. But I think he can play both safety positions. I think he could also play uh, nickel in both man-to-man or zone has been used as a return man too. So that's another uh, asset that could help him get on the field there for an NFL team. Uh, very smooth and aggressive, but always plays his position. Um, he, he's, his position is basically called the spur safety at uh, West Virginia. And I did a little research on this. And according to uh, uh, one of the people that writes for their website, uh, John Antonic, I think is how you say his last name. Uh, the spur position is the straw that st- stirs the drink there for the West Virginia 3-3 stack. They kind of use the three-down lineman, three-linebacker stack. And a 3-3 stack scheme because it's uh, he's, because of what he's being asked to do on any given play. The spur is vital because he can play anywhere from right along the line of scrimmage to 20 to 25 yards deep. So they're basically, you know, kind of – Strong safeties, but they they line up. You know, some of them, they kind of sometimes it look like they'll be like in a three line three lineman set with with five linebackers because um, they're they're both playing up. I think Joseph kind of plays the same type of role, but just a guy that they can move all along, kind of a a, a nice chess piece. Uh, so he he'll play somewhere along the line of scrimmage or twenty to twenty five yards downfield uh, in man coverage against speedy slot receivers. So he's he's basically what they call like a boundary defender. So they keep him coming, either coming off the edge or on the edge to kind of force those force things outside, funnel outside. But he's also a, a nice, willing tackler too. Um, I think uh, I also believe since people think Jeremy Cash can play linebacker in the NFL, I think Dylan could certainly give it a go there too. I think uh, he's not the tackler that Jeremy Cash is, but I think with uh, with his 4-5-40 time, I think he, he gets a little bit more uh, more speed in his to his collisions there too. Um, does have the tendency to kind of bite on like fake handoffs or uh, wide receiver double moves, so it's certainly something he'll have to get, uh, get smarter with. Um, does not have a gr- – does not have a vertical number – that has been reported, but you see him on the field make plays on the ball, and he certainly certainly has good jumping ability. Um, though his though he's fast, I think he does lack a little bit of recovery speed, um, and he does have the tendency to go for the big hit rather than wrapping up for the sure tackle. Any thoughts there, Nick, on KJ Dillon, the Spurs safety out of West Virginia? 
Well, like you said, he uh, played the spur position, which is somewhat of a unique position. Uh, do you think that could possibly hinder his development in the pro level because there isn't really a correlation? Uh, there aren't really NFL teams that use that t- type of safety for the most part, or do you think that's going to actually help him out because it added to his versatility? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to say this, and I'm sure somebody will tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I kind of wonder if this is maybe the same type of thing that Dayon Buchanan does for Arizona where they call him a linebacker, but, you know, they kind of shift him around. And and I'm not saying they're going to – whoever drafts Dylan is going to use him as, as a pass rusher in certain situations. I don't think that's his forte here in the NFL. But I think playing that spur position – where he's either on the line of scrimmage or 20, 25 yards deep. I think, I think that translates into what I said earlier with him being able to play both safety positions because he's playing, he's essentially playing strong safety and free safety, you know, on any given play. I think Oakland kind of did that the last couple of years, or especially last year where that with Woodson and Nate Allen, while he was healthy, you know, they were both, I think they were both technically strong safeties, but they they were they were they were you know they alternated between playing strong safety and free safety, depending on what you know what hash the football was on. Uh, so I I think I think you get that kind of versatility with with Dylan, and maybe Nick's Nick's onto something where it hinders his development, and maybe he doesn't get him on the field right away, but I still think he can develop into something. But he's, uh, like Bill said, too, he's going to certainly need to get stronger uh, in the upper body and uh, and to to wrap up bigger bigger receivers. You know, you're not going to put him out there covering, covering Gronk or Martellus Bennett, that's for sure, right now. Of course, no Ricky should endure that pain. But anyway, any other thoughts? <laughs> Uh, well, you said he needs to get stronger in the upper body. So do you think at least early in his career he projects better as a free safety than a strong safety while he develops and gets a little stronger over a year or two? Yeah, and I think he could also play like a, a nickel receiver if he's if he's lined up against smaller slot receivers. You know, right at the six-foot range, I think he could, you know, I think he has – where he doesn't have the recovery speed, he certainly has the speed to run with people uh, vertically downfield. So I think he could that could help him out more, more of a – a straight line runner um, than than kind of a you know the the quick quick twitch quick twitch variety. Sorry, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I got my I am all up on my scouting terms. Speed to power, quick twitch, torque, lower body torque. I love it. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> we have one more team in this AFC East. It's the Miami Dolphins with every with every running back free agent under the sun visiting the Miami sun. Uh, where's J.I.J.'s value right now, Nick? I mean, they obviously – I know Adam Gates has been on – been quoted as saying he wants a stable of running backs. He wants a whole bunch of running backs on the team. And right now, they they really don't have anybody with any type of experience. As much as us dynasty owners love a Jai and his pickle juice drinking, what, what do you think? Do you think he still has the juice? What do you think? Well, I think this is why I don't trade a whole lot before the NFL draft in, in my fantasy league. But, you know, not only do some players whose jobs appear to be safe lose their job, just look at Trey Mason last year, who, uh, by the way, had an arrest warrant issued for him today, uh, but guys like J.H.I. are they're just impossible to predict, you know. If, if no running backs the Dolphins uh, like fall to them, he might be a steal if you trade for him now. 
or Miami drafts somebody like Ezekiel Elliott, and Ajay is nothing but a handcuff. You know, the truth is likely going to be somewhere in the middle, but personally, I'm not risking a trade for him at this point. Plus, I mean, Daniel Thomas is back, right? How's his value? I almost got that out with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like Daniel Thomas. But anyway, I don't like him on my team, but I like him. Um, That being said, I mean, I, as an owner of Ajay in a couple leagues, Nick, I don't want to should I trade him? I mean, I'm getting all kinds of offers for him. Nothing, nothing good. I mean, nothing grand, but what, what do you think? Well, I mean, if you already own him, then I think you have to treat him as a possible starting running back. Uh, so if you get a decent offer for him, like you said, you haven't gotten any good offers for him, but if you do get a decent offer, I would not hesitate trading him. I just personally would not trade for him right now. Sure. Yeah. And whereas I thought, I thought it maybe could have squeaked out a a 2017 first a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Probably wouldn't get that value right now since they've been so vocal about drafting a running back. So it's 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 tricky trading trading four players before the NFL draft. If you're trading picks, I can understand that, uh, but it's tricky trading four players because yeah, Trey Mason. Got Todd Gurley. And speaking of people getting arrested, did you hear why did, excuse me, tight end prospect out of Western Kentucky, Tyler Higby, got arrested for assault over the weekend? I mean, what is these guys deal? It just it frustrates me so much because I've never been in a position like these guys to make so many millions of dollars. And obviously not every prospect's gonna make millions of dollars this year, but you have such a great opportunity. Why are you why are you at a bar anyway and not training and sleeping? I mean, come on people. Just ugh. Where were we? Uh, ooh, more. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball here, Nick. Are Mario Williams and Cameron Wake too old to be a fear, fearful pass rushing duel? What do you think? Well, we'll start with uh, Cameron Wake. He's 34 years old and coming off a torn Achilles, but if he is able to be healthy, he had seven sacks in seven games last year, and he only missed one game in the previous five combined seasons. Uh, you know, likely I've heard he's going to be a part-time player behind Andre Branch, but if healthy all year, he, he could possibly get double-digit sacks in a, just in a pass rusher role. But on the other hand, Mario Williams, he's only 31. And in his last three seasons playing in a 4-3 defense, he had uh, 10.5 sacks, 13 sacks, and 15 sacks. I, I love him, especially in sack-heavy uh, scoring leagues. Mario Williams, I think, is definitely a guy that you should target. Yeah, and what helps these both of these guys is Sue in the middle. So, I mean, that – and I think they got Earl Mitchell, too. I mean, they got some they got some size in the middle that's certainly going to enable these guys. Um, a little concerned about their – their linebacking core, but uh, um, the thing that is great, and we, we keep being reminded of it, and throughout the playoffs last year with the Von Miller situation, is they have two extremely good veteran defensive ends, and we'll see how Wake is coming off of that injury. But you know, on any on every single play, at least one of those guys is going to be going against a right tackle. So that that's good and that's exciting and Mario Mario Williams is certainly younger and I think he wants to reprove himself that he is again an elite pass rusher so um, uh, Bill wanted me to add that he thinks he could be a, a decent you know double digit sack guy 40, 40 plus tackles in this in this game and I think that's I think that's pretty fair if you can you know buy lower on him 
uh, because of that, uh, I think he's certainly certainly a decent a decent player to add to your team. Uh, Wake, you know, I'm not. I, I don't know. I'm, you'll see. We'll see what he come, looks like coming off of that injury, but that's uh, oh, that's certainly at 34. That can't be good. He's not. He's not a player that you want to count on. Um, and I would certainly, if you can get anything for him, especially if he has some good games early in the year, I think you would certainly. Certainly, uh, sell. Um, what do you think about uh, Rashad Jones? I mean, he's kind of the consensus number one IDP DB, at least he is on DFW. Uh, now, can he continue to be an elite player with three new starters around him in the Miami secondary? What do you think? Well, I don't know if I'd rank him number one defensive back, but you know, in my opinion, secondary surrounding secondary changes would affect the free safety more than the strong safety, right? As you know, the strong safety is usually in the box more, but a center field type of free safety is going to have to compensate for the new cornerbacks blowing coverages or missing tackles, stuff like that. So, you know, I think maybe downgraded him a little bit. I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't put him number one, but I think he's still, you know, a weekly starter by all. Yeah, yep, and again, consulting our, our IDP head, you know, Bill just maybe kind of telling people to calm down just a little bit because he had just an insane year last year. And maybe, did you just say overcompensate, Dink? So is it? Yeah, yeah, for the free, free safeties would have to, uh, you know, compensate more for the blown coverages and uh, missed tackles by, by a new cornerback still getting used to the new defensive scheme that they're playing in. Yeah, uh, that was kind of the point that I was thinking about, too. Uh, that being said, I still love him. I think, um, you know, when you average out his production, it's not it's not as great considering what he did last year. But, um, yeah, he's just, he's an exciting player to work to watch, and he's just, he gets the job done. I have him number one right now, and I, I, I can't move him off because of that. But And I know there's plenty of talented DBs in this league, but I just, you know, Bill thinks he's maybe a high-end DB2 Flores. He, he can't repeat what he did. So if you have Jones, um, uh, you could probably get the – Bill wanted to add, you would probably get the next cheaper Jones. If you can trade him for the next next type of deep, next up-and-coming DB, that's probably not a bad option. And, you know, DBD, DBs like this um, certainly arise a lot, guys that kind of – come out of nowhere and he didn't say he came out of nowhere but he was just just a phenomenal year last year and it's really tricky to trade idp players i i i it's 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 fun to see trades with them but it's kind of tricky to try to figure that out there so uh we think about biggest draft needs we obviously know not like we knew dallas was going to draft a running back last year but we know miami will probably draft a running back at some point in time this draft what else do you think they should do next well like you said running back is the most glaring hole they have uh they could maybe go offensive line they did sign jermon bushrod but uh that was only a one-year deal so they could uh, add another offensive lineman uh byron maxwell pretty much flamed out in Philadelphia last year. So I can see Miami possibly drafting a cornerback to compete there. And also you can never have enough pass rushers, especially with the age of Cameron Wake. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising if they went with that route. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll see too uh, with uh, what, what they get out of Kiko Alonso there in the middle. Um, 
Uh, I like Kentrell Brothers to this team. I think he's definitely a better fit for for a four three scheme at middle linebacker than Raglan. I think Raglan's a better player, but I think he's certainly better in in the th- a three four scheme. So that's uh, that'll be that'll be certainly a position they should look at. Uh, Nick's right there with the with the cornerback with uh, Byron Maxwell. You got you got to have DBs. You have you just have to. I mean, I think the last couple of years that's been the cornerback has been the most the most drafted position. People draft cornerbacks more than anything uh, because you you have to have a slew of DVD, D, uh, DBs, guys that can match up with different types of players and what have you. So that's. I think a great position of need there for them too. This team, it just seems like their whole offensive line is just has not ever been the same since the, the awful, awful Richie Incognito situation from a few years back, Jonathan Martin. But uh, they, they obviously you can always use offensive line help. Um, but having like a receiver going to these team in, in a first round of a mock. I just, I don't get that. I mean, just why, why they just had took wide receivers early in the last two rounds to last two years. Why would they take a wide receiver? Uh, tight end is another position. I don't think they're necessarily sold on Jordan Cameron, Dion Sims. I think some people expected a little bit more out of him last year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that late too. And um, uh, I think they have a, is it Matt Moore? There are other there are other quarterback on this roster. Maybe he's their backup. So maybe they maybe they take a developmental guy, or maybe there's a guy out there that Adam Gaze really likes. Um, if they maybe potential to move off of Tannehill at some point. But uh, what do you think about this? Just kind of this general offense. I know. Um, I know. I think we. I think Alan wrote an article about this some time ago. What do you think about this offense with Gaze? Obviously, he's a head coach now, so there's a little bit more responsibility. But what do you think about him pushing the buttons for this offense, Nick? Um, you know, I think it's really hard to say right now until they add, you know, until we see what they do at running back position. Uh, if they go into the season with Jai, I would not be really optimistic, uh, to be honest with you. Not no slight against Jai. I just. I think he's a good complimentary piece. I don't think he's a every-down workload type of running back. So if they can add a, a pretty solid running back in the first two, three rounds of the draft, then I would be pretty confident in this offense moving forward. Yeah, maybe it's the the dreads, but I feel like a guy maybe like the next Chris Ivory. Maybe he's that type of player that you know is, can grow grow into something but never really, you know, be a guy that can carry the load year after year. So I'd be interesting to see what they do, you know, in the passing game. But they got two great receivers and Kenny Stills is still there. Um and, and I think they will draft a receiver at some point in this draft, just not in the first like two or three rounds. That's certainly not going to going to happen there. So uh, this yeah, this is another a team with some obvious holes, and they have that high pick. So they'll, they'll have two picks, I believe, in the top thirty-five, thirty-six, something like that. So um, they 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 have a chance to get a couple really good players, some impact players there. So that uh, kind of closes our series as we've looked at every single team in this division here over the last uh, eight or nine weeks. Uh, next week, of course, again, uh, two podcasts, me and Bill Servey Tuesday are going to talk 2016 wide receiver class. And then 
next week, or next Wednesday, excuse me, our podcast will start with me and Dan talking RBs, and then Nick will join about an hour in for our regular scheduled podcast, and Bill Latin and Mike Traffic will also be stopping by as we talk about um, strategies behind taking over orphaned teams and kind of what we sh- you should be looking at here in the your upcoming rookie draft as the real NFL draft will be uh, be the next week. And we'll, I think we got Jeff Lloyd coming for the, the show before the the draft pod, the podcast, excuse me, before the draft next week. So, uh, But it's time for uh, the newest segment to our show um, called Kick Josh Out of the War Room. Maybe we'll kick Nick out of the war room next week. Maybe he's got some crazy ideas for us. Um, but, uh, and I don't remember what I labeled my music clip, but anyway, I, I'm terrible at that type of thing. I just think of all these codes and then I never remember them. Uh, but anyway, I was going to play Warriors at the Edge of Time by Hawkwind, just a little nice intro for that, but, uh, that, that would have been cool, but I'll figure that out for next week. Let's kick Josh out of the war room, Nick. What, what do I got this week? Jalen Smith. I already talked about this. Don't you think Oakland should take him 14? What are, what are your thoughts there? I mean, obviously we'll know more in the next couple of days when he has the uh, the combine medical check. But you know, if he if teams are given other the thumbs up like he's going to play at some point in time this season, or you know, maybe he's gonna. I mean, if he's if he's gonna get the thumbs up where he's gonna be available for half of the NFL season, I think I think would be extremely lucky if he's there at pick 14. What do you think? Oh, I, I agree with you, actually. You know, I, I can't kick you out of the war room on this one because I definitely agree. If he's there at 14, that would be a great pick for the Oakland Raiders. I mean, if I were Phillip Rivers, uh, even if he doesn't play one down this season, if I were Phillip Rivers going into the 2017 season, I would contemplate retirement after to think about running from both Khalil Mack and and uh, and Smith on, on the same defense. That would be a pretty frightening mm. proposition. And Alden Smith. Too. Don't don't forget about my boy Alden. The Raiders seem committed to keeping him in the fold there too. So, and Jalen's a guy I think that could play in the middle, um, and and give a nice rotation with with Smith and Heaney and Malcolm Smith, Bruce Irvin. I mean, the, he can he can he's a guy that can play in the middle, but he can stay on the field for passing down for third downs because I think he could play in those nickel and dime sub packages. Uh, he has the speed to do so. He's proven himself as as a coverage guy too. So yeah, love. I would love that, and I think if we stick with that pick, that would be the best option. Obviously, we'll see what the medical says over the next couple of weeks here. But uh, uh, yeah, that'll be it. that'll be big. I know a lot of people will be waiting to hear on on that. So uh, that's kind of all we had for you today, Nick. Any closing thoughts? No, I think we pretty much sit on everything. It was great covering all eight divisions. Yeah, we 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 did it again. We made it through all the teams. A big thanks to our guest today, uh, Luis Torado Jr. Um, such a fun name to say. I can't help myself. Um, JetPress.com. If you're a Jets fan, you probably already know about it. But if you're not a Jets fan, go there and check it out and see what they got going on because uh, Luis is a very talented, passionate writer and 
uh, honored to call him a friend. So I'm always glad to have somebody like that come on. And he's the guy. The guy does good work. So just just go there and check it out, people. Uh, this has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Two podcasts next week. Make sure you check it out. We're going to get to the running backs and the wide receivers next week. So that's that's going to be huge. We uh, we got some good stuff planned for you there. So thank you and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Bowl Podcast with Nicky, Gail, 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 Gail,